Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty considerate, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. Jonah, I was just thinking the other day about the epic story of when Jewish Federation called our house during dinner asking for donations. Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, I remember our dad was not a fan of people calling during dinner time. Yeah. This was something that could really set him off. Yeah. And they called. He got up. I do have a vague memory. You might remember the specifics better. Well, I just remember like he got up from the dinner table, picked it up. It was Jewish Federation asking for money. And he said, we've converted. Yeah. And hung up. And then I think, did he come back and tell us immediately about it? Yeah, I think he was pretty proud of it. (laughs) You know, the thing that was pretty incredible about it, because I think we could hear it too. Like, I think he did it without like any hesitation. Yeah. Our dad's a real improviser. I would say any kind of skills that I have from improv that I didn't learn, you know, in classes, it came to me probably from genetics of having a dad or just from observing a dad who was so quick on his feet, you know, with that stuff. But wouldn't you say if like from the Del Close school, that would be the opposite of yes anding, being like, no, we've converted and then hanging up? Well, I wouldn't say it would be the opposite. I would say then he'd have to like, I've converted and, you know, I no longer believe in the Jewish religion. But if you want to call back with 
you know, I guess I don't have a great <laughs> and. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But I do think that would be pretty funny in an improv show if someone did that. And I guess that's how we experienced it. Our dad putting on his own little improv show, trying not to give money to Jewish Federation. Amazing. Amazing. Speaking of amazing, today I'd like to introduce our guest, a songwriter musician, best known as a frontman of the Hold Steady. You might know his previous band Lifter Puller. He also has a new podcast series called That's How I Remember It. And he's released five solo albums, the latest of which is A Legacy of Rentals. Let's welcome Craig Finn. Hey, Craig, how's it going? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Yes. Does that spark any memories for you growing up? Did you have the dinner time phone call type situations? Yeah. I mean, there was always that it felt like a barrage because they knew they could get you, you know, at that time. And again, you know, I always hate to, I'm 50, so I always feel like I'm being grandpa 80s, but like like before caller ID, it could be anyone, right? right. And so, you, you know, you tended to take it. But, you know, usually it was just a quick like, I'm sorry, we're not interested, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Our dad could have said, I'm sorry, we're not interested. But he decided to go one step further so that they really wouldn't try and convince him. <laughs> you know, what can they say back to that? You know, <laughs> it was actually pretty smart and like a funny thing to do. Well, Because that's like they're just probably taking him off the list completely after that. They have no reason to call. Right. And also they know like, which is it real? Maybe the concept of like Jewish guilt, like that Jewish people feel guilty. I don't know. I feel like I feel guilty about stuff easily, whatever. But either way, it's like I feel like they could try to guilt him, you know, into like being like, are you sure you don't want to give? But if he's saying there we're no longer practicing the Jewish religion, then there's not much left to convince. So pretty funny. I think we've also had carolers at our house. And I feel like <laughs> our neighbors were caroling once. At, we should ask mom about the story. And mom was kind of like, okay, bye. And sort of like closed the door. Did you ever have carolers come, Craig? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I grew up Catholic, which we also feel a fair amount of guilt. But <laughs> carolers, and you know what's the weird one that I was thinking about is some of the just the door-to-door stuff. Like every year yeah. this guy would come and be like, you want to buy firewood and my mom would buy it off of him yeah and then the next fall like another guy would show up and she'd be like no i'm waiting for the guy that's so nice you know like like he's our guy but there's something like kind of quaint about that too it's like yeah. you know, this guy and also i don't know what, what is the negotiation there like how much is i guess you just say this is how much it is and then yeah you take it right <laughs> like i guess so but yeah it's interesting not being able to maybe call this person just been i'll just wait till this guy shows up and then we'll just figure it out yeah no I mean, I felt like there was more. I don't know if this is true because I live in Brooklyn and like people, I don't have a doorbell. Well, you don't have that kind of relationship with people, (laughs) but there was a lot more coming to the door. Do you want us to shovel your driveway? I grew up in Minnesota. So that was a thing quite often. Those kind of things, you know, and then, you know, the obvious Jehovah Witnesses, et cetera. That's what I was just going to say is we would have Jehovah's Witnesses come to our house, which Jonah, this is so crazy. I was just in Cleveland and I was driving down Giles Road, which is really close to where we grew up. And there's like a Jehovah's Witness or maybe, wait a second, I take this back. But there's somewhere near where we grew up. I don't know if it's on Giles Road or if it's on Chagrin. There's like a- Probably doesn't matter the exact road, right? It probably (laughs) is. Well, well, for our listeners that grew up with us, there's a Jehovah's Witness like center kind of. And I do remember they would come to our house and our mom would be like, don't, 
we don't. But I think like once or twice, because like it's the same thing as the phone call where you don't have caller ID. It's like someone comes to your door. You're like, I'm going to open it and see like what what's going on. And then if it would be a Jehovah's Witness, I'd love to get mom's take on this. It would just be like kind of a bummer of like, oh, boy. OK. Yeah. I think my parents were pretty brusque with them. Too, yeah. Right. You know, I think it was like, OK, bye. You know, we're not even entertaining this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think our mom was probably pretty polite. But also, we're not interested. Kind of closing the door as she's talking. To yeah, them. yeah. Yeah. You know, I live in L.A. and people come to my door now. It's so funny growing up in a suburb of Cleveland where they would do that and it was totally normal. And now when people come to my door, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Like, how dare they? Like, I remember when I first moved here, this one guy kept coming over to like, it was this energy company and he kept coming by. And I was like, it was just so annoying. I was like, I can't believe this guy is like, keeps coming. And then finally I, he stopped coming. But yeah, now it's become a thing of like, how dare these people come up to my door? Someone came to my door within the building and gave me a pitch on something and I was like, I'm going to call the police. You can't be <laughs> yeah. inside the building. Like, you can ring my doorbell and I'll come out there maybe. But it was a complete invasion. Wait, they came? Like, somehow they got in the building, right? Yeah. Like, the, the front, front door. And then they were up on my floor. Yeah. Like, knocking on doors. And it's kind of like, I think you're trespassing at this point. Yeah. 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 It's not It's not good. It's not good. Jonah, do people come up to your door? I kind of live in a rural area now. I'm in Western Massachusetts. And... No, we don't really get people coming up to our door. You're lucky. Yeah. You know, my family's originally from Western Mass, and I did live in Shaker Heights for a little while, too. So this is all- Oh, my gosh. Two ships kind of stuff. Yeah. So, well, we wanted to ask you about shaking it up in Shaker Heights. <laughs> yeah. I was very young. I was like three and four. Three and four. Okay. I will say, and you know, I'm doing this podcast on memories, and it's caused me to examine my own memory. My memory starts there. Wow. In Shaker Heights. We lived in a like a first floor apartment upstairs, downstairs kind of building. And there was a supermarket next door. It was called Ordinaro's, I believe. And I, I'm sure it's not there anymore. I actually like, it was on Newell Road. I oh, found yeah. a postcard recently that a friend had sent me way back. It was actually really cool. It was a postcard from Iran. The stamp had the Shah of Iran on it. So wow. it was kind of a historical cool thing. It was on Newell Road. And I have been back. One of my college roommates was from there. And I drove around. The supermarket's not there anymore. But that is my early memories. Wow. Our dad went to Shaker Heights High. And yeah, I remember, I think I asked you about this a very long time ago at the Grog Shop, maybe very early on. But yeah, I was curious what you're connecting. And you must go back to Cleveland a lot to play, I'd imagine, fairly regularly. Yeah, I, although I haven't been really recently. My dad went there for a job and then went somewhere else for the same job. So we were only a quick stopover. But they made a bunch of friends there that they kept their whole lives. Wow. Which was kind of cool. And yeah, I haven't been back a while, but, but traditionally the whole study is like loved, but we played the Beachland Ballroom a ton. Yeah. A lifter puller would play the old Euclid Tavern often too. Oh man, the Euclid Tavern, that place was incredible. The Uke. The Uke. I think I played two different shows to zero people there. Two different shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a considered like kind of a legendary venue now, maybe also just because it's not there anymore. Yeah. I mean, like once you draw zero people, like what can you do but bring them back? <laughs> when are you guys coming back? Yeah. <laughs> were those lifter polar shows or those are? Those are lifter polar shows. Yeah. Yeah. And we just listened to your podcast. You just did with Fred Armisen, who Vanessa obviously has worked with a lot. And that episode was so cool hearing about the lifter polar trench mouth, all of those kind of early days. Yeah. I mean, that's been a really fun thing. And, and it was really fun to do that with Fred and also talk about his bandmates were also so funny. It was like this really funny group of people driving around in a van and doing an act yes. that included music, but like kind 
kind of kept going when they were in your kitchen or whatnot. Yeah, totally. And I feel like your band, I read Franz's book, his latest one, which is also like so, inc- I mean, to me, there's just so much interesting art kind of coming out of your band outside of the music. It's so fascinating. Yeah, his book is really good. And, you know, there's so many books as a musician about bands and musicians that are kind of cringy. Yes. And I think he gets so much right. You know, there are a lot of it as with any time, you know, a writer, you're like, oh, I know where that came from. I know where that came from. There's some familiar stuff, but he really does tell an amazing story with that book. What is the book called? It's called Someone Should Pay for Your Pain, I think. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's really good. It's about a, a, a touring musician who's kind of down on his luck, but um, well, things happen, you know. Got it. Great. But yeah, I think it's really interesting because it seems like there are some parallels in the sense of a lot of your songwriting is kind of fictionalized, but maybe based on some experiences you've had and that book sort of like in that way too. I mean, what do you think it is about that sort of dynamic, I guess? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things on the podcast I've been talking about with people and I, I just had my own best friend, Eddie Kitsis on, and he's a television writer and he works a lot. He worked on Lost and Tron Legacy and oh, wow. his show Once Upon a Time. And he works a lot in genre, right? You know, so he was sort of saying like, okay, you know, you may not have a memory or a life experience involving a smoke monster, but when you go to like paint the picture of the kid's room, the, you know, the fourth grader in his room, you're like, well, I had a twins poster here. I had, you know, and so you do populate a lot of the outer edges of things always with your own experiences. And I know as a songwriter, like I'll be telling a story and I'll need the name of a car. And I'm not really a car guy, so it'll look like, you know, like the last Uber who picked me up was an Altima. Uh-huh. So that makes it in the song, you know? So these things kind of pop into your songs, even if they aren't the main thrust of your thing, they, they really help to sketch out the details or, you know, to decorate the background, so to speak. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like I do that too with writing. Like I either use stuff from my childhood or stuff recent that I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about cars either. So I'm just like, <laughs> whatever car... Yeah, that stuff always makes it in. And it's just easier, you know, to pull from your life. In songwriting, I've always liked songs that like have a lot of details. Like I love, yeah. you know, and I think there is a, like a uh, school. If you listen to like some guy from Nashville will say like, you got to keep it vague because, you know, then people can put your own hopes and dreams in it. And I think like if your goal is to get on country radio or something, maybe that's <laughs> the way to go. But like, <laughs> I really like, you know, like things as detailed as possible that, you know, that really spell out the scene. Yeah. And I've always wanted to do that. Totally. You know, I feel like we exist kind of, obviously you're kind of involved in comedy and you, know, you have a lot of friends or comedians, but then I also like I've seen you at like backstage at a Chuck Reagan show or something. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like occupying those two spaces is always really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, especially as like, you know, you get a little older and there's the people you end up like keeping in touch with or pop, you know, someone like Fred, who obviously crossed uh, genres in some way, or he still is very much involved in music. But, you know, one of the thrills of having some success in music is to meet people who are doing cool things and other things, you know, whether other writers or a comedian or an actor and being able to kind of plug into what their world, how that operates. Totally. I agree with that. I mean, I always think like when I'm talking to musicians, there's such a language that you have that I just don't have. And I find it like so fascinating. You know, I always am so impressed by a lot of the musicians that I've met are so funny And I'm like, wow, they have that too. (laughs) Like, I only have this one thing, but whatever. I guess I'll just deal with it. Craig, do you get like, like, I feel very comfortable talking to musicians, but I do feel when I'm talking to comedians or people that are really funny, I sometimes get really nervous or I feel like I want to like prove that I'm 
funny or like and then I feel like I end up just not saying anything because I'm worried I'm going to say something. I mean, how do you sort of relate to that? A couple ways. For one, the first few comedians I met, I remember thinking like, wow, they're not always funny. Yeah. They're having a normal conversation with me and it's not a joke a minute, you know? <laughs> but yeah, you can get into that. If you don't watch yourself or you're drinking or something, you can get into like trying to impress the comedian, you know? And that's that's a bad path. That's, <laughs> that's a bad path. But I always say like talking to people who are doing these cool things, there's usually something they'd rather talk about, you know, than their actual job. Right. Right. You know, especially if you're pretty new to them. So trying to find that is a technique that I try to figure out. And, you know, it seems like actors want to talk about music. Even when I meet like a sport, an athlete, you know, they're, they're like, you know, so then you can kind of go there rather than like. I think they're trying to impress you. <laughs> I think they want to talk to you about music. I don't know. I mean, music is um, everyone loves music, but there is like, you know, totem pole wise. I see music not as the top. You know, I was at a lunch with some people and a guy who grabbed the check said the musician had never has to pay because <laughs> he was saying that we're broke compared to them. <laughs> What's the thing that you like? Let's say you're on the G train. Some Hold Steady fan sees you. They come over. What's the thing that you would rather talk about than music? I mean, baseball yeah. <laughs> is an easy one. And I'm not like encyclopedic baseball guy, but that's just kind of like easy. Or you know what? Someone else's band. Yeah. Not my own, you know? Yeah. It's just hard to talk about yourself and then just be like, thanks, man. Thanks, man. You know, <laughs> like it's really nice. Of course, people are approaching you on the train and telling you they like you. But at the same time, it's hard to move the conversation forward. Sure. Can I ask a question of both of you guys? that is just occurring to me like for me because I do comedy I don't watch that much comedy because I'm like I get it I kind of veer more towards drama and I sort of like watching the thing that I don't do more and sometimes when I watch comedy although not always but like a lot of my comedian friends like sometimes we're more like critical of comedy sort of because it's like the thing that we do do you feel that way with music like you veer towards music that's not like yours or when you hear music that's like yours you're sort of more critical of it at all I'm definitely more impressed by music that's not like mine you know yeah. like you're like wow how did they do that there is you know some magic taken out of it by nature of it when you uh, spend a lifetime and and, and, you know, it might be even like I go to a show and I really like it, but I'm clocking like, what are we saying? Like 60% full? Yeah. You know, how many tickets they sell tonight? And then once you kind of clock all that information, you kind of can enjoy the show or, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily distracting, but a friend of mine went to a show one time. He said it was, and it was great because there weren't that many people there. So it wasn't crowded. And I was thinking like, it wasn't great for the artists then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's interesting. That's funny. Yeah. We haven't played a show in a while, but I play in like in a pretty heavy band and yeah, mm -hmm. I don't listen to as much like super aggressive maybe once in a while but it's yeah as I've gotten older I think I've, I've listened to less of that generally the one thing I also found is like when I was young and going on tour you know you'd put on the, the stereo in the van and everyone would be like and now it's like you know everyone turn that off and everyone puts on headphones yeah. and listens to podcasts or something yeah yeah I can totally imagine I mean yeah I'd also there's that thing with like being on tour where even if you're on tour with a band you might not really like their music when you watch them like 10 times in a row then and you're like, right. oh, I kind of like this. Like, it kind of clicks with you. Yeah, I have this theory or this, it's like kickball rock. And, and so it's like <laughs> the band, you're on tour with them and they're okay. But then you keep listening to them and they have like, a song you start to really like. And then one night you get drunk and you play kickball with them in this drunken like late night park thing. 
And then you're all best friends. And then they're the most amazing band ever. <laughs> and then you roll through their town, your own hometown. And you're like, you guys got to see this band. And then they come out and they're like, well, they're okay. Because they didn't get to play kickball with them. Yeah, they didn't you know? get to play kickball with them. <laughs> so that's kickball rock. I like kickball rock. I love that. I feel like you really hit on something that's interesting, which is I think part of the reason maybe I'm not as drawn to stuff that's similar to what I do and maybe you guys aren't at times either is because you're right, the magic of it. Because you get how it works, sort of. So there's something magical is taken out of it. Whereas like when it's different from what you do, just coming back to this feels like, how did they do it? I think that's very interesting. I mean, TV people, when I listen to TV people talk, it's like, I'm like, I like that show. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, they'd be like, well, you shouldn't because this, this, <laughs> and this, you know, or. Oh, uh, I know. I have. Yes. And it's just like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I just thought it was really nice, like to sit down on the couch and watch that for 30 minutes. Right. Now, I think we're all like that somehow. Somehow in the past 10 years. Yeah. Like everyone became kind of like critics, a little bit of a junior showrunner, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I would have done that differently. You know, like I know totally. <laughs> it is so funny too. like, I can be completely talked out of liking a show or a movie by someone like that. Cause I'm like, well, they've got really strong opinions. So they're probably right. Like, so I'll like fully be like, this is the best show in the world. And they'll be like, but what about this, this, and this? And I'll be like, well, I guess it sucks. <laughs> like, I just, I'm so easily convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And, and, you know, there's that's like as much as I've been thinking about music, there's been people that are thinking about TV. And it's just like, yeah, it really, it can derail, it can derail your, <laughs> your, your uh, yeah. Totally. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with Craig Finn. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we're back. So, Craig, you sent us a bunch of amazing topics, but the one we decided to go with today was prank calls, which is just incredible. And I'm just curious like, why you picked that and what your kind of background is in the prank call world. I'm big. No, uh, <laughs> it's kind of what we were saying earlier about the caller ID and you know, our relationship with phones have changed so much since I was a youth, since all of us were. And I have uh, some nieces and nephews. I was thinking about things that they just won't do yeah. that we got to do. You know, I could never do prank calls. I was too nervous. I never got in trouble. I was a really pretty good kid. And I was like, more like, you know, like, like scared. And every once in a while, you'd have to do one because of peer pressure. But, you know, I just like hang off. They're like, they didn't go for it. You know, <laughs> you know but when you're talking about your dad and improv, I had a good friend who should remain nameless, but used to do them like one after another, just like, and I just sit and watch them. And he would just riff. And his big one was this very strange, he would call up someone randomly and say like, hey, look, this is your neighbor. Could you stop throwing rocks at my house? And they would be like, well, I wasn't throwing rocks at your house. And these calls would get so crazy (laughs) at times. I mean, not everyone, but eventually he'd get someone on the line who was just unhinged. I mean, it could go on for 20 minutes. And it was like, what kind of rocks? Brown ones, you know, like just over and over. So just like seeing someone like that who really liked it, thinking on their feet. Uh But then there was also this other more wholesome version of prank calls that I remember like, you know, coming home and I I had a little sister, she's five years younger. And it's like, where's Courtney? Oh, her and her friends are doing prank calls upstairs. (laughs) Like it was just some parlor game that, you know, like I'm going to bring some snacks up soon. It ran the gamut, obviously. I mean, there's obscene phone calls too, but like it felt like just something that everyone was participating in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I was never really good at doing them either we did an episode of this podcast with lisa loeb where we talked about landline etiquette Mm -hmm. i did do a prank my last prank call i remember doing it and sadly i was in college so pretty old (laughs) (laughs) and my friend bruce was staying with us and we looked i don't know why we did this we looked up in the phone book for someone whose last name was burger b-e-r-g-e-r and called and said, you know, is cheese there? And it was an older guy who just kind of sighed and was just so <laughs> resigned. And it was, <laughs> we felt really bad afterwards. But I don't know, that would fall maybe into like more of, that's not a very mean-spirited one. No, no. Uh-oh. I think it bummed this guy out though. He may have heard it before. I mean. He probably moved past it. It sounds like it stuck with you more than it stuck with him, which is how I am too. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of it now. Yeah. The first print call, I remember I think Julie Hill and I, we were at our house and we called her neighbor. I don't know why we called like a phone number she knew. And we were going like, 
cool nails. You can get cool nails. Like we were just being insane. And then mom picked up the phone and was like, hello, I need you to use the phone. <laughs> and then we were like, uh, and then we hung up and mom like talked to the woman. <laughs> oh, God. She had like a daughter who was a year older than us, but she talked to the mom and like kind of apologized and figured it out. And then we were like, fully gone. <laughs> That's the other thing is like doing a prank call was so much riskier when you were all on the same phone line because like someone could pick up. So then we like fully got caught. Like, I don't think we were really punished very much. And it certainly didn't keep me from calling catalogs and other things with accents and into home shopping and all this stuff and trying out voices. But later in my childhood, but like it really was so embarrassing to be just like fully caught. <laughs> you know, and do you remember like, they're going to trace it. There was always like that. Like, oh, yeah. oh, I think they're, they're going to trace it. You know? Yeah. 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 And it was like, can they trace it? No. You, and then, you know, some other guy would have some like information. No, you have to be on for three minutes before they trace it. You know, there's like, <laughs> right. like always the scientist, you know, it would get me so nervous. Oh, so nervous. Like really maybe more than it should have. When I look back, like I would actually kind of dread it when my friends would be like, let's do some prank calls. And I'd be like, oh no. Cause you know, you're going to have to do one eventually. Yeah. 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 I mean, some people really excelled at it. Oh Yeah. Did you ever listen to like, there was a Jerky Boys and then of course there was Longmont Potion Castle. And then I guess this seems newer, but like 20 years ago, like Buddy Head was doing them and releasing those CDs. Did you listen to any of that stuff? Yeah. I remember the Jerky Boys. I didn't go deep into that, but there were some other calls that maybe were Buddy Head. There were like, you know, those discs when we started touring in the early 2000s that would make their way through bands. Yeah. Well, there was one guy who pranked called Eddie Money. Did you ever hear that one? Yeah, I think that was Longmont Potion Castle, Whoa. I think. Okay. There was another guy It was like a band wanted ad and he was like... This really enthusiastic, like he wanted to join the band. He, you know, and he was like, I've got my axe, I've got my amp, I've got my jack, I've got, you know, like, and then they were like, Well, yeah, you know, we well, gotta try out. He's like, Well, what's the problem? You know, like it was it was just a super enthusiastic rock dude. That was one of them. But there were, yeah, there were like these discs that people would burn you, and then yeah, I never knew what they were or what they came from. There's a documentary I saw about Longman Potion Castle with a lot of musicians in it, and those calls were really strange because they were like someone trying to deliver like mulch to someone's house. They were kind of like dark and weird, and they would mm -hmm. just go on forever. Who were these people? I don't know that much about it, but it's kind of this like underground sensation, I guess, sort of like in like kind of like a subculture. I don't know if it was like in the punk subculture or like where it came from exactly, but... It it felt like related to that era of like Buddy Head and Chunklet magazine. Yep. And like it was this sort of prankster network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's that show, Crank Anchors, too, yes. with the puppets ad, which, right. which I loved actually. But I think I just saw on the subway there's another season coming out. It's back. It's back. How do they do it with caller ID? You know, I don't know. I don't know how they do it with caller ID, but. They must just call from a number that like a unknown number and people pick up. Yeah. I mean, you can scramble. I think you can scramble your number. I mean, I still get, you know, calls that I know not to answer, but sure. Yeah. People might do it. Not everyone's that sophisticated. I guess they also must need to get the other side to sign off on it eventually, though. Right. Right. Most yeah. I don't know how that works. Is that show good? I've never seen it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it, I mean, the sort of the puppet aspect to it can kind of, I mean, some of it is very absurd, but I can't remember, but I used to watch it. Yeah. I'm sure the new season is very funny, but it just is scary to think about pranking people. Now, have you guys ever been 
the object of a prank call? For sure I have. I can't remember. I mean, that's the thing that makes me feel okay. Yeah. Is that for sure I was received them and yet I don't think they like threw me off for that long. Right. I got one once that made me so mad in retrospect. And this is like kind of an unfair thing that happened, which is I was like touring with Second City and I was staying at a hotel and like in the middle of the night, the phone in my hotel room rang. Oh, yeah. And it was this guy and he was like, hey, it's your friend from high school or something. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. And like, basically he did this thing where like, because I was so out of it when I picked up the phone and because it was like in my hotel room. So it was like a landline. I picked it up and I was like, oh, maybe they need something at the front desk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he like kept me on the phone for like a couple minutes. And I was like, oh, and I was like trying to figure out who it was from high school. I said like someone's name. And then he was like, yeah, that's me. Like it was like, he was like sort of talking. And then I realized that it was a prank. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy woke me up to just like prank call. And then I think I called the front desk about it either that night or the next morning. They said, like, we had got a bunch of complaints like these people were like calling a bunch of hotel rooms in the middle of the night and waking people up. And it's like, what a piece of shit. Like, I still think about how I wish I would have recognized it earlier and just said like, in my mind, I still think about like things I could have said to this person. Like, (laughs) could I have been like, actually, I don't know that this would have worked, but if I had been like, I'm tracing your call right now, I'm like a secret service agent or something. Like I wish that I had like come up with like something to like really scare this guy, but I still don't know what it would have been. And I still don't know in the middle of the night, how convincingly I could have, you know, it's so creepy that it was like an internal phone. Yeah. Yeah, how this person was able to figure out the numbers of people's specific rooms. Like, were they always calling through the front desk or were they able to figure out the numbers of the lines like in the hotel? Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know. But also, what a loser. Get a life, you hack. (laughs) Sorry if that guy's listening. The other genre of pranks that we used to do was very sort of subtle, which would be just to be like, call up some guy in your class and pretend to be someone else and ask him to sleep over on Friday night. And then, you know, sometimes (laughs) he'd be like, okay. And then like, you're just like kind of just creating this chaos. Cause at some point there's going to be like, you know, he's going to either show up or mention it in school or something. And that was just like the subtle, like there wasn't any big punchline, but you were just kind of stirring the pot. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, I don't know if you remember Burger King had an 800 toll number, (laughs) 1-800-YES, 1-800. And I used to call this number all the time. And I do remember calling once and being like, is Dave there? And then being like, hold on. And then this guy getting on and being like, is Dave? And the guy was like, Dave, you're fired. I really thought that this guy was going to think he was like had lost his job. And I think I felt bad about it. And then like as an adult, I'm like, that's probably not how it works. Shona, these calls have stuck with you. When I recount them as an adult, they don't have the same maybe real world implications it felt like at the time. Yeah. And that's comforting. But what was the intention of the Burger King number? What was supposed to happen there? I think it was like just like a line where you could just talk about like any experience you had at Burger King. Questions and comments. Yeah. I remember calling from like Temple. I just feel like we were always kind of (laughs) calling this number and saying weird stuff because it felt very like low stakes, I guess. There was also a number you could call. It was like a 1-800 number. I remember like calling it with friends. You could ask them anything, but it was like a branded thing, but it was like part of a some company's branding, but it was like you could ask them anything. And I remember calling with friends and doing voices. Those were the kinds of things where I felt like 
they were safe to prank call because their job was to pick up the phone and deal with like boring questions. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but maybe I subconsciously realized I was kind of like entertaining them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, think about the alternative, the other calls they were getting. You're probably like on the top end, right? Yeah. And we've talked about, I would call catalogs and voices and stuff like that. And I actually, to come back to Julie Hill, I remember us once calling QVC and talking to someone and being like, can we come pick up the products? And they were like, no, we have to like ship them to you. And we were like, we want to come pick them up. And they were like, no. (laughs) Well, Vanessa, in your experience of doing, you know, your Showtime series, I love that for you. Thanks, Jonah. (laughs) You're welcome just to promote (laughs) it. But I imagine at QVC or at these channels, they get all insane types of people trying to get on the air, right? Yeah. And now they have, when I was just there selling for an hour with Jane Tracy, they were saying that they now have a testimonials line. They have a separate testimonials line at QVC now that people just call to like talk to the hosts and stuff. And it was really interesting because I got a caller who wasn't pranking us, but who said like we were selling this shower gel. Like truly, I got to sell for an hour with this host, which was really cool. But we were selling this shower gel. This woman got through and and I was like, are you getting the shower gel? And she was like, yeah. And this is a woman who had to, you know, stay on the line to give a testimonial. And I was like, and are you getting it for yourself as like a little treat for yourself? Or are you giving it as a gift? And she was like, for myself. And it's like, this, this, this was, and basically she wouldn't, she was like, really not, you know, like I was like, well, what's your favorite scent by this brand? And she like named a scent that like we weren't selling, which was like fine. But it was just funny because it was like all this effort to like get on the air. And then it was like very little conversation. She did it though. She did it though. You know, that is like, you know, I was just on the air. Yeah, she was just on the air. And then at one point I tried to joke with her and I said, are you a big fan of mine? And she just didn't respond. And I had to kind of like cover <laughs> <laughs> what is it about getting on the air that is so like, what's the draw of it, I guess, as like a shopper? Well, I think there's a couple things. One thing I think is that they really love these hosts and it feels like they're getting to talk to like these hosts that they feel like a real kinship with, like a real friendship with too, you know? And then I think the other thing is like everybody has, I think, this sort of fascination with being on TV. So it's like you're on TV in a way, you know, like even though it's your voice, it's like you're on TV and people are like, getting to hear you. I think there's like a real thing with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I remember calling into like telethons or those kind uh-huh. of things and being like, will you wave, you know, and it feels like it's working. Like it actually, it is real. And making that connection through the TV, I think is attractive. Yeah. One time I did a telethon, like when I was at SNL, like we volunteered some of us and answered phones for this telethon. I can't even remember what we were raising money for, but one of the performers I think was like, I want to say Kanye, but I don't know if that's right. And this woman called me and she was like, I'm donating, but I also like, I am related to Kanye and you need to tell him. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't really have access to him. And she was like, I'm his aunt. Like you need to like get this message to him. In retrospect, if she was pranking me, that was incredible. Cause I was like, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> anyway, maybe she was pranking me. What were you going to say, Jenna? I was going to ask Craig if you heard this like punk rock prank call that went around a few months ago where Rob Doby called into this conservative news channel and dropped like references to like Youth of Today and all these bands. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah, I did see that. There was like a video going on online. That was, that was totally impressive. He put fit like, I don't know, 30 band names in, I don't know, a minute <laughs> and a half, two minutes or something. It was, yeah. It's kind of incredible. Did either of you guys ever work at a job that you like 
had to deal with the phones because I did. <laughs> I had a job after college at American Express Financial Advisors and I was on incoming calls and uh, I'd like, you know, help people with their accounts. And because that was like, you know, I think I was on the phone maybe like six hours a day wow. with a headset. And there was some stuff that would happen. I was working with mainly annuities. So a lot of the people were pretty old, retirement age. So there were guys that would call and check their balance every day. Wow. Again, this is before the uh, internet. So that, you know, and there would be some guy who was probably a little bit lonely. So you'd say what his count was at that day. And then he'd be like, so what else is going on? <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> that's not my, I can't, I can't do this, yeah. you know, but there was some weird stuff. I think the phone allows us, especially allowed us back in the day to have a little bit of distance and maybe a little bravery that we now kind of have online. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that's absolutely true. I think that's really interesting. I mean, so were you being like recorded at that job, do you think? Yeah, well, it had like one of those beep because a guy would call up and say, I want to move $1,000 from this account to this account, right? And then if he later said, I didn't tell you to do that. Right. And then there was some code that I would give him at the end of the, you know, confirmation that would sort of tell you where it was on this tape. And that rarely came up, but it did it every once in a while. There was some weird stuff. You talk to a lot of the same people often. So there, you know, there was a familiarity sometimes. And eventually every once in a while, someone would show up to the home office and you'd meet them in person. But mostly there were just these disembodied voices that you dealt with all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. The guy who did my taxes for a while was Davey from The Promise Ring. <laughs> nice. And I used to send him so many puns about the band. <laughs> and then at one point I needed some actual financial information about my account and he was like I have to erase your emails like, like <laughs> everything is like nothing feels good like a tax return all this stuff and he was like I have to erase your emails because you send me so much stuff that's like about my music which is fine but like I can get in trouble for that basically sure wow. sure wow you know now they have a thing where like I remember I feel like when Kyle Mooney started on SNL he introduced us to it it's basically a pre-recorded prank call and like you call this number on your cell phone and it will you can have it call somebody else and it just does all the work for you where it's like, hey, I, I need to talk to you. And then it like pauses. And then it's like one of them is about cheating. One of them is about like financial. Th like I remember being at like the after party and just like him doing it. And we would just like listen to someone he had called with it. <laughs> just respond, which seems like <laughs> such a cheat to like be able to do that. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard those or seen them. No, but you just made me think that like all those prank phone calls that went up into the ether, why were we not recording all of them? I know, you know? it would have been so, <laughs> you know, the other thing that's like that I'm thinking of, like speaking about like recorded prank calls, like I did some calling around for like the some of the recent like election stuff and people have this thing when they have an unknown number sometimes where they have like a thing that picks up their phone immediately that is like sorry the kids are going insane the kids are going nuts there's like a few of them and i would hear the same one a few times and that's how i knew it was like it's almost like punishing the person who's calling you that they don't have the unknown number that's calling you. So it would pick up and it would sound like a person was picking up, but it would actually be this pre-recorded thing picking up that was like programmed to pick up any unknown calls. And you'd sit through it for a while before you'd realize that it was not real. Really? I've never heard of that. Yeah. No, I've never heard of that. That's a thing that people do, which is actually kind of smart. But it, the only issue is like, for those few unknown numbers that are actually people trying to reach you, like you can't really leave a message or anything, I don't think. Although I can't remember, but definitely it like really works. <laughs> it's like, it was like very weird. 
<laughs> anyway, should we go to a commercial break? Let's do it. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Craig Finn. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. All right, Craig, we're going to do a, a new segment with you today. It's called Legit Moan or Unnecessary Groan. Legit Moan. Unnecessary Groan. This is based on a column printed in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. They used to run this column called Monday Moaning, where people would write in complaints. And then every Monday, they would run these in the newspaper. And me and Vanessa would read these as a kid. I went online, found a bunch of old ones. They discontinued this column about 10 years ago. So we're going to read three of them, and then you're going to say whether you think this is a, a valid moan, like a valid complaint, or an unnecessary groan. Spoiler alert, a lot of these are very unnecessary, but I can kick us off. Okay. Our first one is from Westlake, Ohio, and it says, To the self-righteous idiot who sat in front of us at the movie theater last night and asked us to stop talking. People were just arriving, and the movie was 20 minutes away from starting. I get being quiet during a performance, but I don't see the harm of talking to your friends before the performance. He needs to get a life. Craig, what do you think? Legit moan. I mean, the movie hadn't started. Like, if the lights are on, you can talk. I think that's only fair. It's just, you know. Yeah. So you're saying this is a valid complaint. Yeah. Valid complaint. Yeah. Yeah. So you think before the movie starts, it's kind of fair game. Yeah. I go to the movies fairly often and I do talk before the lights go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's valid. There's a lot of trouble that starts, especially in New York and the movie theaters. When people start moving people around. Yeah. You know, like, would you mind to, you know, that's what always sets people off. But talking before, that's fine. Valid, whatever it is. A legit moan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with Craig. I think it's funny he calls this guy self-righteous idiot. Yeah. (laughs) And I also think 
Yeah, 20 minutes. I can't imagine sitting in a movie. First of all, you're both there 20 minutes early. It's pretty early. Yeah. And then to tell someone to be quiet, like that's not even, I don't even, the previews haven't even started yet. I feel like that's a pretty valid complaint, I would say, or a legit moan. Legit What do you think, Vanessa? Yeah, I do too. Although I have a couple of comments to make about this. I don't believe that it was 20 minutes away from starting (laughs) because if it was truly 20 minutes away from starting and this was 10 plus years ago, it would have been those like word puzzles. I'm going to call it was probably like eight minutes before it was starting. I think it was an exaggeration just based on context clues. The other thing is if this person is so angry about being asked, why didn't they say this to the person? (laughs) Like, I wonder, like, why didn't they say, hey, like, I get like that you want quiet and I will definitely be quiet for the performance. But like, you know, until the performance starts, I have a feeling that this happened during the previews. And this person wanted to hear the previews. And I previews is a bit of a gray area, I think. It's Craig, a gray what do you think area. about talking during a preview before the actual feature has started? You'll notice that this person didn't say the previews had or hadn't started. Okay, so yeah, and I was thinking there's an unreliable narrator here. Yeah. <laughs> I think if the previews has started, then he has to shut up. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll agree with that. I think it's strange also this person keeps calling it a performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get being quiet during a performance, but I don't see the harm of talking to your friends before the performance. (laughs) (laughs) I think also, I mean, the the format that this is being discussed in, the moans and groans, is there's a potential for a certain kind of person to be hearing their grievances. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's funny is they replace this column, it seems like briefly, with something called Thankful Thursdays. And I don't think that column really took off the way Monday Moaning did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although one week we should do a Thankful Thursdays and see if it's really something worth being thankful about. Because I bet those are pretty funny too. But I just think I'm going to say unnecessary groan because like you said, Craig, I think this is an unreliable narrator. And also because I might actually side with this person if they were like the previews had just started, but we were kind of like getting settled. But it's like, I think this person's not being real with us. I also do feel like previews are a gray area. I think you generally want to be quiet for them, but. I don't know. As someone who's always late to everything, including movies, like I don't even know what being 20 minutes early looks like. So I guess I'm kind of an unreliable judge, but I'm calling this one an unnecessary groan. All right. Fair enough. Vanessa, do you want to read the next one? Sure. Sure. This next one is from this. They sign their names with where they're from. So this person just said Cleveland, which, okay. The Cleveland Browns are horrible, but what is worse is the stupid procedure to try to keep the fans sitting. (laughs) Even high school fans stand up and cheer. It is going to drive away a lot of the fans. We are furious about this. The experience is more than just the game. If it was about the game, no one would come because the Cleveland Browns have been losing for well over a decade. Change this. Let the fans stand up and cheer. This is the NFL. Questions about this. (laughs) So I looked this up. Oh, you did? Yeah, 2012. Some fans were kicked out of a Browns game for cheering. They had been standing up. Someone asked him to sit down and then they stood up again. They told an usher and they basically got kicked out of the game and they released a statement saying, if you're going to sit on your hands the whole time, pretend you're at a ballet, there's no incentive for me going anywhere. These people were really mad about it. Okay. A lot of people. This was a controversial thing in 2012. Right, right, right. Craig, what are your thoughts on no standing and cheering at a football game? I would think that especially what, I, you know, as a sports fan, I think of the Cleveland Browns as a classic you know, sort of blue collar, tough as nails situation. And I don't think that 
everyone just sitting down the whole game is <laughs> what I equate to that. I think there should be some controlled amount of chaos at a football game like that. And I think that if they stand up, it probably means they're excited and you know, there, <laughs> there hasn't always been a lot of excitement on the field. So I think they're being good fans in some way. And I think it's a legit moment. Legit, legit moment. I, I mean, yeah, they're talking about the dog pound. This is kind of a notoriously, you know, energetic group. I'm wondering maybe the person asking to sit down was the same guy from the movie theater <laughs> who didn't want them talking <laughs> 20 minutes before the movie. It was like, I'm at this Browns game and this guy's standing up. Like, you know, maybe it's like just you got to learn, you know, how to navigate your situation a little better and make, you know, not make everyone fit into your vision of what you think the world should be. Okay. Once again, <laughs> I disagree with both of you and here's why. Oh. I think that it's one thing to stand and cheer. But let's say behind you, which is this is what I'm assuming. And I in both of these situations, I'm reading a lot into these moans. Maybe behind them was like a family with like little kids who couldn't see or there was someone who like an elderly person who couldn't stand up and couldn't see. Like clearly, I don't think that they would have been asked to sit down if like the people behind them could like also stand and see like but it's like being at like a even when I'm at like a show and people start like standing and clapping, I'm like, sit down. I, I Now I have to stand. <laughs> Even if I like the performance, performance. But anyways, I just think like, clearly these people were asked to sit because the people behind them, their view was obstructed is what I think. And then it's like, yeah, if I'm sitting in a section full of tall people or people that are able to stand, I stand, I do my thing. But once someone behind me has said that they like can't see, they want me to sit down, I got to respect them or I got to like maybe offer them my seats and then I go behind them and I stand. I actually kind of do want to look at the story more closely. I'm curious what the context was of I need well, you to sit. The interesting part about this letter too is this wasn't the person who was kicked out writing the letter. Right. This is just some random person who's mad about this who wasn't there, it sounds like. Yeah, they say they were not drunk, they were not rowdy. All they did was stand up to cheer on the Browns. Yeah, it feels like we're missing information. Yeah. I wonder, I'm starting to wonder that if we did a hundred of these, if we'd start to think, right now I'm kind of with you, is that I'm only reacting to the story on paper, but I agree that there's probably this is a one side i mean you know yeah all we did was stand up and cheer like you could yeah. kind of hear the guy yeah you know and they're like well except yeah well look i call this an unnecessary uh, groan but necessary i think context groan. is everything you know <laughs> with these monday moments yeah i think it's a legit moan but i think i could be easily swayed with the details the details yeah yeah there would be an awesome if then all of a sudden we put like we're able to show on camera what actually <laughs> yeah. happened and then everyone would be ashamed <laughs> Oh, all right. So our last one is from Brook Park, Ohio. And it says, people are wondering if they're going to lose their home or where their next meal is coming from. Then you have people buying comic books for $2 million. If you can buy a comic book for $2 million, you have too much damn money. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Unnecessary, Unnecessary. groan, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that is the answer to world hunger. I think that, you know, maybe this guy is buying a comic book for two million next year he sells it for three million and donates sure. that one million yeah. to sure. charity you know we don't know i don't think there's enough information in there that makes me agree well craig i did some research on this mm -hmm. and it turns out in 2011 someone sold nicholas cage's superman comic action comics number one that was found in a storage locker 
for $2.1 million. And apparently it was stolen from Nicolas Cage's house in 2000 and then recovered 11 years later when an unidentified man bought the contents of a storage locker. So, and Nicolas Cage bought this comic for $150,000. I guess this money went to Nicolas Cage, we think, maybe? Right. Do we think someone... We don't know. He hasn't confirmed this story. And also this was 10 years ago. So I don't know. Well, I guess either way, I don't (laughs) care. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that really changes anything. Yeah, I think this person's gripe. Thank you for doing the research, though, Jonah. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think this person's gripe. Well, what do you think, Craig? I think this person is saying if there's money, it should go to a better cause. But I just don't think comic book or a car or a yacht, you know, there's a lot of luxury spending out there. Sure. I don't think that just declaring a comic book to be, I'm not a comics guy, but you know, to be, to be lesser than a sports car or, you know, whatever else collectible items people spend a lot of money on. I don't think it's valid. So I'm saying unnecessary groan. Unnecessary Yeah, groan. I agree with Craig. I think if this person had presented it maybe in a different way, talking about maybe like systemic issues of income inequality or like a critique of capitalism or something, that's one thing. But to be like, someone paid $2 million for a comic book, you have too much money. There's a lot going on in the world, right? This, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. This person's really being held to a pretty high standard. Yeah. Whether it's Nicolas Cage or not. I agree. I think it's a little bit unnecessary. I think it's a little unfocused, but I understand. Can I just jump in real quick and also point out that if the 150,000 bought it at some point before it became worth $2.2 billion, it's a very successful investment vehicle. Yeah. It's not just throwing money away. It's actually, if it continues on that, it's a, it's a very good investment for for whoever. That's true. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. So that, that was a great investment. And so, yeah. What does this guy think everyone who's investing shouldn't be investing when they hit a certain amount? It's, it's a slippery slope. That's a good, that's a really good point, Craig. Vanessa, what are your thoughts? Well, as my very close, very smart friend, Ariel Stern says, or has said to me in the past, money is fungible. And I kind of know what that means, but I think what it means is like money is money. And as you guys are pointing out, like who's to say that this person doesn't pay $2.1 million for a comic book. And then the person who received the $2.1 million isn't donating 1 million of those dollars to charity. So it's like, and to say that someone has too much damn money, you know, I guess I say to that person, well, who are you to say that? I wish I had something stronger to say to that person. But the point is, I just think that like, if you're going to equate, like some people are wondering where they're next. It's like, you can't just pick on this one person for spending $2.1 million. People spend that kind of money on art all the time. Sure. At least a comic book has like content you can read in it. By that logic, you could say like, and you know, so... I feel like this person, I think this is an unnecessary groan. Unnecessary and as you said, Craig, like this person, whoever bought this initially, Nick Cage or whatever, you know, they made a good investment and then now they're selling it for $2.1 million. And maybe there was some theft. I don't, who knows? <laughs> and Nick Cage involved. We don't know the details, but regardless, this person is complaining is making kind of a blanket statement that if you spend $2 million on a comic book, you have too much money. You know, I'd love, I'd love for this person to think bigger is what I'll say. (laughs) Did you say you thought comic books were more valid than art because you can read them? I'm saying some art. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm not saying all art. I'm just saying, you know, I bet people have paid more money for like art that is, 
I'd rather read this comic book probably. Okay. And look, I'm not a comic book person, so that's saying a lot. I probably really don't <laughs> like this art. But yeah, I think in, in certain cases, yes. <laughs> okay. You heard it here. Wow. Controversial. That's why people come here. <laughs> they like to hear the edgy takes. <laughs> well, Craig, where can people find out more about you, your music, your albums? What's the best way to get on, on the sort of get the info? I guess uh, craigfin.net or um, Steady Craig on Twitter, Steady Craig on Instagram. I don't know Facebook because I'm scared of it. So I'm there. So those are the places. And uh, I'm touring uh, a lot this fall in the US and in Europe. So Amazing. That's great. I want to say also Craig's newest record, A Legacy of Rentals. Definitely one of my favorite albums of 2022. I know we're only halfway through, but Craig, such a great record. Amazing. Thank you. I'm really proud of it. It was definitely like one that I wanted to do a little differently and I felt like we got there. And um, I'm always, especially at my age, trying to create something that says some elegance to it, but I think we hit it this one. So I'm really proud of it. And I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, of course. And thank you for doing this podcast, especially this last segment. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. And everybody check out Craig's podcast. That's how I remember it. And also, thank you, Craig. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. I think that you might consider a coffee table book of these moans and groans because I feel like <laughs> it's like a party game. Like you could have cards, like a trivial pursuit, and you could pull them out and then you'd all have to talk about it because I'm picturing, you know, I bet you there's a guy who's like a repeat customer. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. The thing that's so hard is that everybody signs off with the city that they're from. Mm-hmm. So you don't have people's names, but I wonder if we did a little deeper with the editors of The Plain Dealer. <laughs> well, I wonder if anyone else is like looking up these archives 10 years afterwards besides me <laughs> Yeah. also. So I'm wondering if the joke's kind of on me a little bit. Well, the joke's on our entire audience by that line. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Craig, for joining us and everyone for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird? Where we'll discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like prank calls. Thanks so much, Craig. Hey, thank you guys. It was so fun. Really appreciate it. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. 
Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper, wear it like no one else. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.